vocabulary for that. I am uh, grateful to be here. I wanted to give a thanks to the uh, elders for allowing me to come for the fall session and give you guys this information and uh, very grateful to them. I also want to thank my ministry partner, Jay Wegter, who's back in uh, San Diego. Tough, tough place to be, I know. And uh, anyhow, he has been a tremendous influence in my life and uh, much of the sessions that we're going to be doing as we look through each individual session as we go is kind of a collaborative effort of the ministry that I'm a part of, which is called Gospel for Life. And uh, I've been associated with this ministry for about 10 years now, and it exists essentially to disciple the church. So you might call it something of a parachurch organization that comes along churches and helps disciple and train pastors and organizations to faithfully proclaim the gospel and to defend the gospel. And so I wanted to give him uh, an extension of thanks there. So biblical cosmology, very lofty term. And I know some of you have said, help us understand this. You know, so that, that is my goal is to bring something that's lofty yet understandable and digestible. And I was thinking earlier how much this lesson here tonight is going to pair well, I think, with what's going on and what's being said from the pulpit uh, this, this past summer, especially in the Amos studies and looking at some of the minor prophets. So um, I have sort of tailored each message to uh, sort of stand on its own, um, but also be a part of a bigger scope. So when we're talking about biblical cosmology, we're talking about sort of a universal, sort of central, like airplane view scope of the scripture. So we're not going to be looking at necessarily uh, exegetically in the sense that we're going line by line and verse by verse, but instead we're going to be looking at the big picture. What is the Bible telling us from beginning to end? And how do we use this book, this living book, to refute the lies that are coming at us uh, every single day. So that's kind of the scope that we're using. So the title of this first lesson is Cosmology 101 for a Pagan Culture. This is part one of two. So we'll get the second half, Lord willing, uh, next Sunday. And um, without further ado, we'll dive in. I'm gonna be looking at my notes quite a bit uh, because I want to be accurate. These terms that we're going to be using and these concepts can be a little bit difficult sometimes to understand, and so I want to be clear. Um, and so if I'm looking at my notes, you'll know why. But uh, what is biblical cosmology? Let's start there. And I've got a, a screen up here at the same slide that you're looking at, so that is our first question. So cosmology has to do with that branch of philosophy which deals with the origin and the structure of the universe. So biblical cosmology is the study of the origin, structure, purpose, and goal of the universe. And so within that framework that we're working with, biblical cosmology includes man as the image of God, and sub-themes of male and female, also the dominion mandate, and biblical anthropology, which is the study of man, the nature of man. So at the heart of biblical cosmology is the creator-creature distinction. And biblical cosmology states that God is the definer of everything that he has made, that he has created everything and he has defined it. And God has structured reality by giving us designations, giving us definitions, categories, and relations to that which he has made. So God's defining role over his creation has established the creation structures of male and female, and marriage, family, and social order. 
These creation structures are foundational and they are ontologically real. So you have a cheat sheet there. <laughs> if you don't, uh, Trisha's got one, you can get one from her and that gives you some explanations of the definitions that we're gonna be using. So you can look to that if you need to as we go. The absolutes of biblical cosmology are essential in correctly interpreting the universe that we live in. So think of it this way, Adam named the animals according to how they glorified God. So God's relation to his creation is the ordering principle of the universe and of all reality. So because God is the sustainer and definer of all that he has made, there is no such thing as a rea reality that is greater than God or some sort of reality by which God is a component. Next slide. Biblical cosmology is about the origin and the nature of the cosmos, especially about God's relationship to what he has made as maker, upholder, ruler, definer, and owner of the universe and its contents. So as maker and ruler and definer, cosmology is therefore connected to what we call teleology. And teleology is simply the the doctrine of the design, or we could say nature, and goal of a thing. Uh, the nature and goal of all that God has created. See, everything that God created has a purpose, and it has a goal that is central to the creation. So understanding the telos of a created thing can sometimes be quite obvious. So we know that a fish has gills and a bird has wings and you know, so on. So understanding telos in other areas beyond that requires a little bit more digging. So for example, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says that a woman's long hair is for her glory. Well, there's a telos in a woman's hair. So everything that God creates and everything that's connected to that creation has a particular goal. So glory is another way of saying, and uh, telos is another way, of, is synonymous with the telos of the created thing. So cosmology, which means, cosmology actually means a, a beautiful order or beautifully ordered cosmos. And it's where we get the word cosmetics. I was uh, hearing Larry said something about uh, cosmetics or something to that regard, and so cosmetics actually is derived from that word cosmology. So, you know, husbands, when you're running late and uh, your wife is putting her makeup on, I'll have to warn you to refrain from telling her to stop ordering her face. <laughs> it might get you in trouble. So biblical cosmology has to do with God intending a spe specific function and purpose for everything he's made, and because God's goodness is manifest everywhere, would only take a single sea turtle or honeybee in order to condemn man on Judgment Day. So when the biblical cosmology from the scripture, when it's taught and it's handled properly, it is able to dismantle and deconstruct every single assumption and every single facet of paganism's lie that we live in a self-made, self-designed, self-interpreted, and self-purposed universe. For consider what's being asserted in the worldview that we're getting today, that the creation itself is divine. And this view of existence is more explosive than any nuclear arsenal I'm reminded of 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. Uh, next slide. Biblical cosmology provides the sole vantage point that's high enough 
for a unified and cohesive worldview. So think of biblical cosmology as kind of a wide-angled lens on your camera. It's broad enough to see man's place in the universe and to see God's relation to all that he has created. So exalting God's transcendence and exalting his omnipotence is the starting point in biblical cosmology. The creation is utterly dependent upon God. Utterly dependent. Therefore, the creation gives praise. It does not receive praise. Biblical cosmology is a totally unified ordering principle. So without it, worldview that we build off of that cosmology has no foundation. So can, you've heard the word worldview before. So think of the worldview as being built upon this foundation of biblical cosmology. If the foundation is bad, like we were hearing earlier today, then our whole worldview is going to be out of plumb. It's not going to be straight. So this means that the gospel itself only makes sense in a world in which our omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God is creator, he's upholder, he is lawmaker, owner, redeemer, judge, he is all these things together. And so the gospel has no interface in a world in which pagan cosmology has replaced biblical cosmology. That is why the Apostle Paul starts at Areopagus in Acts 17. He begins to start at the foundation of biblical cosmology, and then he works his way to the gospel. And so that is why it is so vital that we define categories as God does, for he is the ruler, he is the sustainer, and he is the owner of his creation. So God's blueprint, we could say, is his word. And it's not only our moral map, but it's also our fixed point of reference, which, which provides our understanding of the nature of reality. And only by what God has said in his infallible word do we know beyond a shadow of a doubt what is true, what is real, what is right, and what is wrong. Next slide. So biblical cosmology is expressed in the distinctions that God has made. Beautiful distinctions. We could say that God creates by separating. So let's look just quickly here at Genesis 1. And we see right off of the bat in the very beginning that God creates order, right, through separation. So this idea that there was some sort of cosmic boogeyman who always existed in the form of chaos, and there was this competing battle between chaos and Yahweh, and um, so this is the narrative that has run uh, throughout world history. But that's not true. So we see right off of the bat that God creates through separation. There was always order from the very beginning, and he creates more order through what we would call a separation of binaries, right? He separates. We see that he says in um, verse 3 that God said, let there be light. There was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, in verse 6, he said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so, he called the expanse heaven and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And this continues. So this goes on in the whole setting forth and in creation account, God is separating into binaries. Okay, so there's purpose and what God is doing. So, this informs us that in every distinction that God makes, it is to be hallowed. It is, a, it is to be hallowed in delightful recognition of who God is. Because with each separation, he is revealing something about himself. There's a glory involved with the separation. 
So the creation also bears the quality of being moral in nature. And we just saw that, right? God separated and it was what? It was good. So those hallowed creation structures formed by God are male distinct from female, parent distinct from child, human distinct from animal, animal distinct from plant. And so these binaries of two-ness constitute divisions, but they also constitute moral boundaries. And there are moral boundaries that are established by the creator. So we don't want to relegate these principles as merely God's testimony concerning the creation week, but they are deeply connected to these metaphysical realities, especially that the universe is moral in nature. In other words, there is a mortar oral built, mortar order, moral order built into the very fabric of the creation. So homosexuality, for example, in Romans 1, is a sin against nature. It is a particularly egregious sin because it suppresses that which is self-evident, Paul says in Romans 1. A person practicing a homosexual lifestyle lives in a 24-7 state of continued rebellion against God's creative structures. And the Bible tells us in texts such as Psalm 19 that general revelation is perfect in its ability to communicate truth. It's infallible. So as one scholar puts it, he says, quote, human beings are only correctly understood in relationship to their creator, to each other, and to God's moral government. Uh, next slide. As humans, our identity and purpose are inseparably tied to our designation as the very image of God. So when we're studying biblical cosmology, we're very interested and concerned with the image of God. Our rationality, our worship, our morality are the direct expression of having been created in the image of God. And since God is a God on mission, to be human is to be mission-focused. So we are created to raise up God-fearing communities. We are to devote ourselves to marriage. We're to devote ourselves to family and community. And we are to be diligent in exercising the dominion mandate over the works of God's hands. So our identity and our design as humans made in God's likeness are inseparably joined or wedded together. I saw a smile from over there. This, th those are my children. That's my family. <laughs> Next slide. So by contrast, the world's cosmology seeks to achieve spirituality by removing the distinctions which God has made. And anybody that's paying attention is seeing this happen before our eyes. The distinctions that God has made is where the issue lies. And this, of course, is a tragic fool's errand. This pagan spirituality seeks to erase the distinctions between God and man, between man and animal, between man and woman. And so the result is a perverse behavior. It, it inevitably results always in perverse behavior. Next slide. So the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1 that the overturning of the created order will result in unnatural ways of living, such as homosexuality, lesbianism, and it carries with it what Paul says, the due penalty, which is wrath. That is the physical consequences, such as disease, lower life expectancy, lower birth rates, but also the metaphysical consequences, which is intellectual darkness and the searing of the conscience, gender and identity confusion, and on and on and on. All of which brings about the societal pain of dysfunction and complete disarray and disorder. Sound familiar? And I purposely put, which I can't read that far, but it's upside down. It creates an upside-down view. It's very hard to read upside-down. It can be done, but it's hard. So, next slide. So, biblical cosmology is about defining the creation as God does. That's what it's about. 
So to summarize part of Paul's dialogue with the Athenian philosophers, we cannot know the creation or our place in the creation apart from knowing God's relation to the creation. And the question is, why is that? Why is that? Answer, because this is God's world. Because the entire cosmos is a kind of theater for God's glory. The Bible sets forth the creation as a beautifully adorned temple to display the glory of God. For according to Romans 1, the creation is a sacred teaching device which infallibly reveals God's divine nature and his perfect attributes. And we see this statement in Romans 1, 18 through 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so they are without excuse. So pagan cosmology departs from biblical theism at this very foundational juncture. For pagan cosmology places everything, including God, into the realm of the cyclical. The consequences are unimaginably comprehensive. So to remove the distinctions between God and us is ultimately the same thing as acknowledging no distinctions at all. Therefore, pagan cosmology, we would say, is pantheistic. Pan meaning everything, theistic meaning God, so there is no distinction between the creator and the, and the creation. And it is that way because it affirms that everything is infused with the divine. So we have this importation that we've seen of Eastern mystical religions that have been around since the time of the sexual revolution. Maybe some of you remember those times and how, in fact, that has taken a toll, an ex extreme on the West, these things have been imported. So look at the next slide there. Some of you may remember. So that is the, that's the Beatles there, right, with the Maharashi, Mahesh Yogi, right? And so this pantheistic worldview that was being imported, imported into the West, through the was imported through the Trojan horse of pop culture. And there are many other slides we could show you, many other pictures and accounts, but this is how this Eastern mystical pantheistic worldview was imported through the culture. So how often today do you hear things like, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious, right? So we need to be able to explain to our young people that this is the height of arrogance to suggest that human beings are divine. It is the height of arrogance. Next slide. So what is the evidence that the West has changed cosmologies? Let's talk about that. I'll give you four. And each of these four functioning properly constitute the building blocks of any society. All of these we can say are foundational to the flourishment of any civilization. They are one, the church, Number two, the family. Number three, the academy. And number four, the government. And we don't have time to dissect each four, but suffice to say that they were all designated by God to proclaim, to uphold, and to honor, and to reflect God's truth. So we can't deal with all four, but let's just take and consider one. Next slide. Our public universities are and have been teaching our young people that the essentials of human flourishing are now grounded in pagan cosmology. The secular academy is hell-bent on separating Christian students from their biblical worldview and replacing it with a pagan one. And it is no accident that paganism is violently opposed to patriarchy. 
For from the fatherhood of God issues his moral government, and from the fatherhood of God, the Son of God is sent to be the heart of the good news of the gospel. But in the fallen Eden, human and angelic sin turned our world upside down, and God's chain of order was disrupted, and it was flipped in the rebellion. Prior to this apostasy and the unfallen creation, the animals were subjected to the man and the woman. The woman was subject to the man, and the man and the woman were subject to God. But in the temptation and the fall, God's order was reversed, right? A creature, the serpent, deceives the woman, who then leads her husband into sin, and then he abandons his God. Darwinian evolution, which has been taught in the public schools since the mid-1800s. Let that sink in. It's been accepted in the Catholic curriculum, in the Catholic uh, school curriculum since the mid-1950s. And it specifically teaches an upside-down chain of order. So what is the consequence of this? Next slide. We now have an upside-down world in which unregenerate humans are subject to the creation and they're subject to the devil. The glory of God is therefore concealed as God is exchanged for that of an ox and creeping things. So, brothers and sisters, consider for a moment the sheer magnitude of what we're up against and what we're dealing with. There are great challenges that we face Our churches are being exploited by LGBTQ propaganda, where they ought to be bold worldview changers, but instead they're mute. Why? Why is that? Because Christians are becoming increasingly stranded between two worldviews. Young Christians today are, are helpless. They feel helpless, that they're being presented between two antithetical choices, one being heartless Bible dogma versus loving social justice. The words love and hate now have new definitions, but what our young people do not see is that the new definitions have been cast and framed within the worldview of a pagan cosmology. So when Christians today, they face the choice of speaking a word for Christ or being silent, they choose silence. Young Christians need to be taught a biblical understanding of cosmology. Next slide. So denial of the creator-creature distinction constitutes a plunge into utter absurdity. For it is impossible for the creature to set up an alternative rationality in defiance of his creator who is the source of all rationality. The seculars today have used the philosophy of materialism to attack the divine blueprint given by God by which mankind is to interpret the world. And naturalism has been shredding mankind's understanding of this divine blueprint. Uh, Next slide. And so what the rising generation does not see is that the vast majority of the inner workings of pagan cosmology is concealed from sight. So it's much like the iceberg analogy, right? 90% of the iceberg is below the waterline, and our people only see the behavior and the moral sort of messaging, which is the 10% above the waterline. In other words, they they know the agenda of the LGBTQ and the political talking points, but these are mere symptoms. That which is visible, what they do not see, is the ideas, the ideology that is driving this from underneath. What they don't see is that America, in changing cosmologies, has changed religions. Next slide. So mankind created in the image and likeness of God functions as a divinely ordained vantage point from which all other truth claims concerning worldview must be evaluated. When human sexuality is viewed from this divine viewpoint, we see an immense watershed like a continental divide, like a mountaintop rising to a sharp peak, and human sexuality serves sort of as a fulcrum 
which forces one to declare his or her worldview. In other words, your spirituality defines or reveals your view of sexuality. And as uh, Dr. Peter Jones has said, quote, the two views of sexuality in our world emerge from two timeless religious options, which are tied to two fundamental worldviews or cosmologies, and how we order our sexuality is one of the most telling indicators of a civilization. Actually, how we order our sexuality will determine whether our civilization will survive, unquote. So at the heart of worldview is how the sexual body is to be used. Therefore, sexuality is the inescapable divider. One cannot balance on the needle sharp tip at one peak. One will either come down on the side of biblical cosmology or on the side of pagan cosmology. The next slide. So these two mutually exclusive worldviews of biblical cosmology and pagan cosmology are driving the culture war. So consider that the two moral social issues which divide our nation politically, the two major ones, are abortion and LGBTQ rights. Next slide. So by enshrining choice for both abortion and erotic freedom, it is clear that the majority of our country, certainly the political left, is now advocating a pagan cosmology in which man is not the image of God. And by exalting choice as the liberation of self or self-expression, self-identification, it is clear that just beneath this idolatry, idolatrous autonomy is a pagan cosmology which gives tacit permission to worship the self, to rail against the distinctions which God has established is to oppose the very God who is distinction maker. Next slide. Thus, as the Christian worldview recedes in the West, the culture of death, abortion, perversion, euthanasia, make a whole list. These will enthusiastically claim every square foot of territory that has been abandoned by biblical theism. And with this eagerness sort of to liberate our culture from the remnants of its Christian cords, right, think of Psalm 2, comes the wholehearted rejection that our human identity and dignity rest upon our being image bearers of our creator. The progressive left's pagan cosmology is constantly telegraphing that the priority of choice overshadows any assertion that the dignity and sanctity of life that are at stake in these matters so we must understand that the rejection of our creational identity as the image of God is primarily a ploy to justify this moral revolution. But this rejection of the image of God comes with profound consequences for history reveals a record of spiritual and physical carnage whenever a culture has denied mankind's creational identity as the image of God. So we cannot, we cannot afford to hide our heads in the sand by relegating this replacement of cosmologies to nothing more than political differences. Politics is deeply religious and it is very pagan. And it's no longer waiting patiently on the sidelines for a few seekers to become converts the assumptions and ramifications of this lying cosmology are rapidly being legislated as public policy in our own government. And it's reminiscent of what Isaiah warned 2,700 years ago. He said, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Isaiah 5, 20 through 21. So the Christian West has rapidly become the pagan West. So we have to take seriously this urgency to warn and train our youth at what is taking place. They're not being told about biblical cosmology. They're not being told with meaningfulness the word of God. And we are paying the price. 
So Christians are increasingly unable to provide a biblical apologetic in the face of the progressive left's branding of their worldview as regressive and bigoted. Next slide. Consider how the following terms are utilized in a frontal attack on religious freedom while placed in the service of defending erotic freedom. So here are some of the most common words that are incorporated in the narrative of, of the progressive left. Let's look at some of these words. Diversity, peace, tolerance, inclusion, justice, equality. We hear that one a lot, don't we? Self-affirmation, civil rights, equal protection, compassion, non-discrimination, personal empowerment, unity, and human flourishing. Just to name a few. The vast majority of these terms, we need to understand, in their original meaning are derived from Christian values. Yet, the left has stolen them. They've stolen them which they then label as values inherent in erotic freedom. So the church needs to be able to see through this deceptive theft. For the self-justifying and all-inclusive cosmology of paganism is parading these pseudo-values as the very core of human flourishing. What a coup from the devil. For this pagan cosmology is a reconfiguration of the entire way that we think especially about our sexuality. People are imagining that they can just create their own reality as, as if law just sort of emanated from themselves. This self-justifying deception is flowing from a demonic cosmology that is rooted in Eastern paganism and it's also rooted in neo-Marxism. So I'm sure that many of you may remember the New Age movement that closely followed the sexual revolution. Well, when the New Age movement first offered itself in America, this escapist invitation to seek a spiritual postmodern view of individual enlightenment was very attractive. And our nation was ripe for this. For, for this increasing skepticism, had the society had built up the skepticism towards the enlightenment modernity and its socio-cultural norms had seemingly exploded into two mushroom clouds over Japan, right? You remember that? So much for man's power of reason, it was said. So the New Age moves in with its Eastern philosophies that reject rationality, it rejects logic, it rejects its own law of non-contradiction. You ever notice that? It's really hard to argue with these people. That doesn't make sense. And they look at you, so what? Where does that come from? You see, they've, they've, they've flipped their epistemology. They've given up the knowledge of God and worshiped the creation. So this has fully intoxicated every area of our culture, including politics, the academy, and even the church. And the evidence is everywhere especially by the fact that the deconstruction of gender and sexuality is welcomed as pure self-expression without restraint. There's no objective reality, just want, desire, inner cravings of a depraved mind led by animal impulses and instincts. The radical nature of this moral revolution would not have found traction 50 years ago for the fumes of Christian worldview still held that heterosexual marriage constituted the building blocks of a civilized society. But now erasing every God-ordained distinction and creation structure is considered the foundation of liberty. How absurd. So Christians today, especially our young people, are far too easily silenced by the arguments from the paganized left. And it should be clear by now that one of the glaring reasons our young people are mute in the face of progressivism's assault is that they have never been taught biblical cosmology. They haven't been properly discipled. That was a long slide. Next slide. The breaking down of the gender binary of male and female is central to the whole new vision for society, a vision which intends to usher in 
a new moral order with new laws, new ethics, a whole new way of thinking. The deconstruction of the fixity of male and female lays the groundwork for a new morality in which laws are made to prevent discrimination against alternative lifestyles. So this pagan cosmology, we have to understand, this is a full rejection of the divinely created order. The outcome is a new set of ethics, especially erotic ethics, which enforce homosexual politics, includes laws, gender pronouns, right? This shift is so radical that it must incorporate a whole new method of knowing and altering everything it touches, even the nature of linguistics. In pagan spirituality, the male-female distinction is erased, making homosexually appear completely natural. As this demonic cosmology is applied, Christianity will increasingly be regarded as the adversaries of progress, of liberty, and even humanity. And because of the male-female binary is so foundational to biblical cosmology, Christianity is regarded as the single greatest threat to the public acceptance of homosexuality. Uh, next slide. So materialistic, pagan, pantheistic conceptions of the cosmos yield a self-focused or self-referential view of human existence. In other words, if one believes that the universe is self-originating, self-sustaining and self-defining, then it is a very short leap to believe the same things about oneself. And the academy today is happily serving the as the devil's apprentice and is playing an immense role in fully bending the arc of education towards paganism. The Darwinist creation myth has become the state-sponsored cosmology. University students are brainwashed daily into thinking that the binaries that God has established don't exist, that they're fairy tales, and that they're the worst kind of oppressive, oppressive social contracts. I mean, this, this ought to make us weep for what our children are going to face in the future. How are they going to face this if we don't train them, if we don't armament them? For the liberating truths of Christianity are being described as platforms for hate, power, oppression, division, and intolerance, and this illusory worldview reigns in the academy today, and it reigns in our culture at large. Today's infatuation with the modern self has a whole new pseudoscience to accommodate this neo-paganism. Next slide. So contrast this view of the modern self with Jesus's words, right? In Mark 9:34, he says, "In calling the crowd to him with the disciples, he said to them, "If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me." So to deny self, in the in the negative sense, it means to turn from the idolatry of selfism and every attempt to orient oneself by the dictates of self-interest. And in the positive sense, that it's a picture, really, is what it is. It's an illustration of the condemned man forced to demonstrate his submission to Rome by bearing his own cross to the place of his own execution. To take up one's cross was to publicly demonstrate one's obedience to the authority against which it had previously rebelled. This is to live daily in such a way that, to, that to, to actively acknowledge God's claims over self's claims. You see, the worldviews are completely and entirely contradictory. They're completely opposite. Next slide. Today's scientific paganism proposes a non-teleological man a human who is not created and not designed by God. And this has become the state-sponsored creation myth and cosmology. Even the progressive left admits that the culture war is progressing at warp speed 
and the last vestiges of biblical theism are being cleansed and purged from the public arena. Corporate technologies are even getting in on the game and they're playing their part in cancel culture with DEI statements. If you're not sure what that is, look it up on the internet. You'll have fun with that. The progressive left has virtually pronounced itself the victor in this culture war, planting their rainbow flag as a symbol of victory in every area of the culture, every area of society. The divinely ordained structures of the universe spelled out in biblical cosmology has been written off as a myth and relegated to the realm of hate. And those who hold to God's created binaries are labeled intolerant bigots. Next slide. So the tearing apart of these binaries is taking place to make room for the pagan ordering principle we would call monism. Monism is the oneness and connectedness of all things. So what deformed shape will the post-Christian West assume if it morphs into this cultural mold of the brave new world that we're being asked to jump onto? What will fill the room of cosmology when God's binary furniture is broken up and discarded? Well, the answer is very chilling, actually. And uh, Larry has been preaching on this pretty succinctly. For history is replete with examples of what takes place when the foundational binary, the creator-creature distinction, is eliminated. History shows that with hardly a pause, once this distinction is removed from a culture, fallen man's hardwired propensity to worship nature is unleashed. This is idolatry. This is rank idolatry. Paganism is the result with its justification of manifold sexual immorality, violence, and death. That's what we can expect. So what is the, the devil up to here? What is he up to? Next slide. The devil's goal in promoting a pagan cosmology is to conceal the glory of God in Christ as fully as he can. As this global lie of pagan na naturalism gains momentum, war, chaos, disorder, and cruelty are completely unavoidable, and the spiritual holocaust that is coming will not be incidental in its wreaking of havoc. I mean, it won't be just a few individuals here and there subscribing to the lie, for scripture tells us that a Babylonish world unifying religion will be utilized by the powers of darkness. Why is that? Answer, no amount of godlessness can erase man's worshiping nature. He is a worshiper can't erase that. For according to the book of Revelation, as the lie picks up momentum and goes global, mankind's worshiping nature will be fully co-opted by the powers of darkness for the purpose of worldwide idolatry. You see, that's where we're headed. Next slide. So, Finally, why has the West changed its cosmologies? And as uh, Dr. Peter Jones has pointed out in his lectures and books, pagan cosmology has appeal because it proposes, explains, and justifies progressive ideas about behavior that can be adopted in good conscience. For in pagan spirituality and cosmology, there is no transcendent authoritative lawgiver whose commands are immutable and binding. So whether it's a, a Sudanese witch doctor or whether it's some philosophic uh, naturalism that's being practiced by some university professor somewhere, they both are subscribing to the same cosmology that this is a self-originating cosmos, it's self-sustaining, and there is no creator. It's the same paganism. And there's a fascinating reason why this pagan, paganizing phenomenon rushes in to fill the vacuum. And the answer is found in this foundational binary of the creator-creature distinction. It orders every other binary. 
When the God of scripture is rejected by a society, the other binaries that he has formed will begin to collapse as social structures. You see, that's, that, that's the narrative that they're painting, that these are all social structures. And so we don't need them, right? And we, we talk about the church and the traditions. Well, if there's no glory of God being cast in our churches, then it's just tradition. And eventually, you know what people say? We don't really need the tradition anymore. And so eventually that goes away. And so you see that's happened in Europe already. And church buildings are being turned into uh, brew houses and you know libraries. And so the state, this is where the state moves in. So when the God of Scripture is rejected by a society, the other binaries he's formed will begin to collapse, and we are seeing that in the media, we're seeing that in political theater, that the collapse is regarded as progress, right? That's, that's what we're being sold. And what is this result of, of, what is the result of all this chaos? Well, the state then becomes the culture's God. The state becomes the culture's God. With every looting at the mall and every... Antifa riot, we inch closer to the state moving in to take control. You see, this is all intentional. It's purposeful. It's comprehensive. This explains why the political left is so invested politically. The state becomes God, and in that government becomes the new catalyst for laws that redefine human rights in order to punish those that fail to uphold this new erotic freedom. Government becomes the society's muscle of a comprehensive pagan cosmology. So, even though this sounds very bleak, we want to consider something. Uh, next slide. What exasperates the materialist, the secularist, is that all the permanent things that God has ordered, well, they're not up for discussion. This is God's world. Amen? He owns it, he defines it, he sustains it, and he will see it to its final consummation. So because it's God's world, the secularist wages open war on the fixed structures in biblical cosmology. Why does he do that? Because it is the fixity, it is the order and structure of the universe that glorifies and points to God's splendor. The secularist cannot move one piece of furniture in God's world, so he attempts then to usurp God's role as absolute definer, and he creates a pseudo-reality. You see, he can't actually create a real reality. Right? It's a metaverse goggles reality. It's a pseudo-reality. It's not real. God created the world and all that is in it, including people, in a way which gives it a fixed nature. This means that by the will of the infinite personal God, he willed your gender before he created a single atom. Not only the biological, but also the ontological realities of fixed gender, they cannot be reversed. There's distinctions. There is nothing that you can do to change it. There's nothing that can be done to undo it. You can vandalize it. You can deface it. You can surgically mutilate it. You can cross-dress it. But you cannot erase the image of God as male and female. In fact, the scripture taken as a whole indicates that your gender assigned to you by God will remain a part of your identity forever. But in the meantime, the devil is casting Doubt, doubt about your identity, doubt about God's goodness, and therefore, uh, the next slide, the worldview being fed to our young people daily by the latest memes, satire, fake news, misinformation, political correctness, it's nothing less than the devil's cosmology and how he deceives the world. Entertainment and media are tools to teach this pagan cosmology. The devil, think of this, that the devil, the arch cherub, who once reflected the glory of God, that was his job, 
Well, he is now the arch concealer of God's glory. You can read about that in Ezekiel 28. The enemy uses the world's philosophies to accomplish his blinding purposes. Is it any wonder that the gloriousness of the gospel is being obscured? And because millennials today have digested so much of the devil's cosmology, for the most part, they do not envision that ultimate reality is found in God's purpose for his creation. You see, God has given each one of us a purpose and a goal. We have, a, we have dignity and, and worth and value because God has said we do. That can't be changed. Uh, next slide. Pagan cosmology desacralizes, profanes the creation by suggesting that the cosmos is self-originating, self-sustaining, and self-defining. So our duty to God, this is important, our duty to God is not found in his moral law. It's actually found in what God created us to be. You see, we are made to reflect God's image. That is where our obligation to God rests, first and foremost. Consider that the animals, though having no written law, do exactly what God has created them to do. Their embodiment, their nature, and thus their behavior reflect the telos that God has given to them. But consider today that we are told that to do what God created men and women to do is archaic, it's outdated, it's bigoted, it's sexist, it's oppressive. And uh, next slide, the, the narrative of erotic freedom continues to vilify proponents of a biblical worldview as being guilty of homophobia, transphobia. But there is an underlying cruel agenda beneath the surface when these insults are flying around. For the goal of pagan cosmology is the ushering in of a monolithic worldview called egalitarianism. Egalitarianism is simply the all-embracing cosmology of what we might call a homo-cosmological sameness. Everything is essentially the same. That's the idea. That when you will it down and you get down to the core of it, it's all divine. It's all the same. You see? That's what they want to do is eliminate all the distinctions and make the argument that everything is, is the same. So it, it's a... It's a fabrication. It's a, it's a mirror. It, 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 it mirrors God's bringing about this wonderful diversity and harmony together like a lock and key, right? It's the opposite of that. So, next slide. Well, I think I got lost on one there. What's the next one? Maybe I got really lost. What's the next one? Okay. So these are some of the slogans that we're hearing all the time. And for sake of time, we'll, we'll skip discussing those. But these are discussions that we need to have. We need to be able to identify these words and find out where they're coming from. You know, they're throwing out, make them define these things because they can't. They want to say things that sound good. But if you ask them to define them, they're not able to do that. And that's where you're going to pin them down. So next slide. We're going to end here on this, on this uh, slide here. Something we really need to understand, that education, and this was, remember, this is just one of the four that we've been kind of weaving in through here. Education is inescapably religious. Education, all education, is inescapably religious. One's conception of the world and of human existence is of necessity religious in nature. And the academy is relentless in its quest to saturate its students with pagan cosmology. Just one example. You may have heard of this man by the name of John Dewey. 1859 to 1952. He's considered historically as the modern architect of the public school system here in the United States. And he was, he was very much Marxist in his ideology. He came from a reformed Christian family and he 
rejected the God of his parents, and he set out to create an educational system based upon an atheistic view of human existence. He said this, quote, humanism turns the individual into God and is the source of his own ethics in the school that is the, the day school for the youth, right? Becomes the temple of that deity, unquote. This man, John Dewey, became the founder of the Teachers College at Columbia University, meaning he trained other Marxist teachers, you see. He was a teacher to the teachers, known today as the most influential educator in American history. So what inspired Dewey? Well, it was Marxism. He went to Moscow in 1928, and he was so impressed with Marxism's system and Shortly after coming back home to the States, he said this, quote, the public school system is the greatest discovery ever made by man. Obviously, he wasn't looking at everything else that was going on in Moscow in 1928. You see, he had an agenda. Dewey was part of the Frankfurt School, and he helped to bring the ide ideology of the Frankfurt School into Columbia University. The whole goal, we don't have time to get into it, but the whole goal of the Frankfurt School was to bring down the West through what was commonly known as the long march through the institutions. That became a slogan. This was the only effective way, in their view, to bring down the West. So here's a few statistics just to throw out there. In Yale today, the ratio of liberals to conservative professors is 28 to 1. At the University of Chicago, 1% of donors gave to conservative political candidates. In 2016, a study revealed that there was a 12 to 1 ratio of liberals to conservatives in most colleges. In Stanford, it was 151 to 17. At uh, UCLA, in, in my home city, 141 liberals to nine conservatives. In Cornell, it was 166 to six. And we could go on. So we've already talked about Darwin a little bit. Public schools today in the Western world teach a pagan cosmology. That is the thing that we have to understand. So one question that I had in putting this together, maybe you can help answer, is this. What will it take to get Christians out of the public, secular, and educational establishments? What is it going to take? Perhaps you might ask, ask that question as you consider sending your child or supporting your grandchildren to go to university. Don't be shocked if they come back as enthusiastic sponsors of pagan cosmology. So, as was said earlier, the current education model is comprehensively designed to separate believers from their Christian worldview. Teachers, administrators are glad to have Christian breeders as their underlings for these breeders as they abandon their Christian worldview, become evangelists for pagan cosmology. I've seen it in our own families. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. The goal is to separate believers from their worldview of biblical theism in the name of a new, more compassionate social order, you see. So because this is God's world, a boy that says he's now a girl is like saying, I'm a cat, I'm a star, I'm a grape. We cannot underestimate just how destructive the rejection of the creator is to the human mind when he allows the human mind to be released unto its own world 
human depravity sinks to unimaginable levels. You literally give up your own way of knowing. So we've seen in this presentation, I trust that biblical cosmology is about God's relationship to what he has made and it is about his relationship to his created order and he will fulfill everything that he has purposed to do. He will establish it because he owns everything. So when we communicate biblical cosmology, we are seeking to make our unsaved listeners self-conscious about what they believe. We want them to scrutinize their own thought process. And so when we refute pagan cosmology, it brings light, perhaps to the very first time, to that person's mind. For only our creator sings, sees all things as they really are, for he has designed a cosmos with purpose, with order, and in a, is an order that is both physical and moral in nature. So as my, one of my dear friends likes to say, he says, we're concerned, but we're not overly concerned. <laughs> right? Amen. We're concerned, but we're not overly concerned. So, but we need to take these things very seriously. We need to engage. We need to talk to people. We need to refute their wicked ideas, their wicked agenda. And we need to set forth in a robust, meaningful way who God is as he is revealed in the scripture. So let's pray. Father God, these are sobering times, Lord, and um, the first thing we do when we are struck with concerns like this is we want to hallowed your name. Your name is great. Your glory stretches across the universe. You are God, you've made all things, you've created all things, you've given all things a purpose and a goal, and you have determined to reconcile all things in your son. He is the chief reconciler. And all those, Lord, that do not prove to be vessels of mercy, Lord, will be discarded. What a, what a horrible thing to think through. What a what a sobering reality that as you bring everything to a close on that day, everything will be examined and will be determined whether it was useful, fit for the king's service or whether it was to be discarded. Lord, this is a fearful thing. So we pray, Lord, that you would help us Enable us, empower us by the power of your spirit to share the truth. Share the truth about you, that you own all things. Nothing can stay your hand. You're the mighty God. You're the creator. And we owe you our very lives. Use us, Lord. Make us fit for your service that you may receive the glory that you're due. And we pray all these things in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen.